Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. You'd be surprised how few people actually really understand what the goal is of the campaign. So understand what the goal is. And a goal isn't, I want more sales. The high level description of the goal may be, we need to drive more sales, but you also need metrics, targets, and milestones. You need to say, well, all right, well, what am I measuring? Well, I'm measuring sales. So is that revenue? Is it pipeline? And then what's my target? How much do I want to achieve? Do I want to do $100,000, $10 million, something in between? And then what are the milestones along the way? What's up, everybody? Today, I have a special guest, Peter. He's known as the Nerd CMO, but we'll, we'll, we'll get him to describe why he calls himself the Nerd CMO. But I'm excited to have him on the podcast. Peter, welcome. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you. First question I have is just, how did you get into marketing? How did you fall into this profession? It was an accident. I think this happens a lot, to tell you the truth. And you probably find this talking to a lot of marketers that it's not like I was an eight-year-old saying, I'm going to be a marketer when I grow up. In fact, I think I wanted to be a carpenter early on, but that didn't really pan out. I went to college. I got a double major in physics and computer science. And my, my family is all a bunch of scientists. You know, my dad was a PhD physicist. My two older brothers are PhD scientists. And I remember people saying, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? Uh, because I wasn't going to go get my PhD. I was too dumb for that. And I said, I, I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is I'm never going to sell anything because that seemed to be the worst thing in the world. Long story short, I ended up getting a job in sales at IBM. And ironically, when they called, they advertised it as a marketing job because IBM called marketing. They said, you can be a marketing representative. And I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. I don't know what marketing is. And it turns out it's sales. But the first real marketing job I got was uh, about six years later. I had been in sales and in channels, and I was always the guy who was coming up with new ways to present information to customers. I work, was working for a public company, and the head of marketing for one of the divisions got fired, and the GM of the division said, well, you do it. So literally, my first job in marketing was at 29 years old. I was the head of marketing for a division of a public company. So I have no idea why they did that, but that's how I started. I'm pretty sure the science aspect of your life has translated well into marketing because a lot of marketing to me is running experiments, like knowing how to run a hypothesis, then test the hypothesis, share the results of the hypothesis, and then see if it works, if we should run it again or not. So I bet that helped a lot. I wrote about this in my book, the idea that you should act like a scientist, not like a promoter. The difference is that if you're a promoter, when you run experiments like that, you try something as a marketer, some people have the instinct that they want to say, hey, yeah, this is the good stuff about this. And they want to say how good it was. The reality is if you're taking a scientific approach to it, you set up a, an experiment. Well, you start with a thesis uh, and your thesis is, you know, I'm going to convert some of these people to, to customers. You set up an experiment and maybe multiple experiments to see which one does better. 
and then you run the experiment and you look at the data and you interpret the data and the data will tell you what the answer is. You don't try and spin it to say it was better than it was because that's going to make you make bad decisions in the future. So that idea of acting like a scientist is actually really valuable in marketing in general. It's a good way of approaching it because I think from talking to a lot of marketers and being around a lot of marketers, a lot of marketers, what they do is they'll take data as like end all be all. They'll just run the campaign and they don't run it like what you said, like the data is just telling you, hey, is this a good hypothesis or not? Like you still should run experiments to keep keep that going. A lot of people say, okay, the data says this. That means we should double down on Google ads or we should double down on this, but they don't like run other experiments as they do it. They just take data as, as the end all be all. Yeah, there are a couple things that are important to, to add to that, Daniel, because you're right on. One is that just because you got a result doesn't mean you'll keep getting the same result. And you see this in practice all the time. I mean, you see that certain channels are going to perform better some days and they're going to decay over time. And, uh, and then you have these over-the-top new challenges that come in, like the new uh, cookie rules and, and targeting and things like that. Just It makes it harder. So you always need to be running additional experiments to see, one, what what you can do to replace the performance you're doing, but even more, it's the idea of dethroning the best performer over time. So your job as a marketer should always be about running new experiments to find out what you can do to deliver better performance over time. The important distinction, though, is that you have to do it while maintaining a strategic coherence. So you can't just run random things all the time. You need to make sure that you are actually building towards something, you're aligned, you have a coherent strategy. Otherwise, you're just going to be spitballing stuff all the time, and that doesn't really work. This is a perfect segue because you start a co-company to make sure that marketers plan these things out in a proper manner with budget, setting objectives, making sure they 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 deliver on the results, they report on it. So this goes into like the basic high level. If I'm running a marketing or starting to run a marketing campaign, how do you think about like setting up a plan to present to let's say my head of marketing or CEO of how I'm gonna go out and execute that plan? The first thing you need is a goal. So what am I trying to achieve? You'd be surprised how few people actually really understand what the goal is of the campaign. So understand what the goal is. And a goal isn't, I want more sales. The high-level description of the goal may be, we need to drive more sales, but you also need metrics, targets, and milestones. You need to say, well, all right, well, what am I measuring? Well, I'm measuring sales. So is that revenue? Is it pipeline? That's probably revenue. Okay, that's a good thing. And then what's my target? How much do I want to achieve? Do I want to do $100,000, $10 million, something in between? And then what are the milestones along the way? So if I'm running a six-month campaign, does that mean that if I'm going to expect $600,000 of revenue, do I expect $100,000 in month one? Probably not, right? There's probably some ramp up that's there. So start by really framing out what you expect the outcomes to be. And what I always tell people to do is make sure there's a really clear understanding of what the business impact of that outcome is. So 
if you're dealing with revenue, as an example, that's usually pretty clear, but you do have to consider margin. So if you're selling things like a, a physical product, just because you get $100 of revenue doesn't mean it's $100 of profit to the company. You know, Maybe it costs them 50 bucks and you have 50 bucks of profit. If your target is something like pipeline, that's even trickier. So a lot of marketers will have a goal that starts with pipeline. And if you don't understand that, well, if I'm generating $100,000 of pipeline, maybe 25% of it is going to close. So that's $25,000. And then maybe it's at an 80% margin. So that means there's $20,000 of benefit. So if you understand that, then you're not going to go to your head of marketing and say, I need $100,000 for this campaign that's going to generate $20,000 of benefit. So you need to do the napkin math at the beginning to understand what's the financial impact of what you're trying to do. So that's all about the goal. So define the goal. There needs to be a strategy. So what's the strategy I'm going to use to achieve that outcome? And that can be a, a simple thing like I'm going to buy some AdWords. Okay, that's a strategy, right? That's a strategy is a description of the approach you're going to use to achieve the outcome. So what's the goal? What's the strategy? What's the financial impact of that thing? And then you need to just build your plan uh, and track your performance against that plan over time at a very, very high level. That's what you need to do, and, and a bunch of those things are often overlooked when people are building campaigns at the beginning. I don't think a lot of marketers do the part that you said is calculating the end, even beyond revenue, because I think that's very good insight to know like, okay, just because you generated $200,000 in revenue, that could only mean 30,000 to the business. So like, like it's not one-to-one, -one, like, hey, I put in 300,000 spend, I get 300,000 revenue. I'm like in the clear now because there's all the costs of the engineers making the product, the, let's say this is SaaS, like engineers making the product, the CS team dealing with the customers, like all these little hidden costs that people don't know. So it's good to know like, what is the margin of the product? I think a lot of people don't think of marketing in the full business scope. And then that's what screws them at the end because that's when the CEO says, oh, marketing is not working. And you're saying, well, I'm generating a lot of revenue here. So here's the key unlock code for your career, Daniel, and for your audience especially, is as a marketer, one of the things you should do, and I did this uh, and I stumbled upon this. It wasn't like there's this grand, brilliant design. Go find someone in the finance organization, someone who's in uh, FP&A doing financial planning and analysis. Uh, if it's a small company, go to the CFO and say, can you explain to me the P&L of the business? At a very high level, but by the way, they'll be delighted to do it. Almost universally, they'll say, oh my God, wow, someone actually cares about this stuff in marketing and have them walk through with you sort of the basic financial structure of the business. And it does two things. One, it will really help you understand some of the basic framework of the economics of the company, which is critically important for you to do. And the second thing it's going to do is start to forge a more meaningful relationship between you and your finance counterparts, because it's incredibly important. You want them to have your back. They have to be a key partner for you, because what you're doing as a marketer 
is you're investing company resources to deliver outcomes. That's it. That's what you're doing. So you need to understand what investments you're asking for and what's the value of the outcome that I'm getting and is the outcome more valuable than the investment. It's kind of as simple as that. So if you understand those relatively simple concepts, then I think you're you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of most marketers out there. I got lucky because when I was working at Service Titan, I was in marketing ops and my whole forecasting was just me and FBNA in a room together forecasting what revenue will be, what how much budget could we we get. So I was with FBNA every single and it made me learn so much about what actually like FPNA and finance cares about, which is a big, big problem. Because also like sometimes the goal is like we're okay with burning money if we like this was back like two years ago. We're okay with burning money if we get X amount of customers in the door. And if like CAC is in a reasonable way, then CAC paybacks is a reasonable way, then LTV to CAC is a reasonable way. Like we're okay to do it. But now the table is flipped where like I don't think people are as okay as burning as much money as they used to in a big software company that just raised a lot of money. It's more like, hey, how lean can we be when we do budgeting and forecasting and spend and CAC and CAC payback? Everything is cyclical. I've been through many cycles. Uh, I'm old, if you haven't figured that out, uh, if you're listening to this on audio. Uh, a grizzly old person. So I started my career in the 1980s before many of you were probably born. And that means that, in fact, when I graduated from college, uh, about three months after they had the 1987 stock market crash, uh, we had the dot-com bust, we had the 2008 financial real estate collapse, we had the COVID pandemic, we had, and we've had the recent turn down uh, around it. So there's always going to be a cycle. And throughout those cycles, people will get sort of hyped up on, hey, everything's going to grow forever. It doesn't really. The reality is there's always going to be a time where it comes back and understanding those financial fundamentals are are really critical. And one of the things I always tell people, Daniel, is that I think marketers are getting better and better at understanding some of these things. Like if you ask someone, what's your cost per cost per outcome, whether that's a lead. What's your cost per lead? What's your cost per opportunity? I think they're now getting to the point where most marketers can kind of come up with that number, at least a reasonable estimate of that. The other thing they need to know is what's the value per outcome? What is the value of a lead? If you're selling something for $10,000, as an example, and let's say it's you know pure profit, we'll ignore that for now. If 25% of opportunities convert, that means that a deal is worth $10,000, excuse me, a closed customer. An opportunity is worth $2,500 because on average, 25% of them are going to close. And if uh, you know 5% of leads are going to close, that means a lead is worth $125,000. So understanding that basic math uh, to say, all right, on average, a lead's worth 125 bucks. That's super important to understand because if your cost per lead is 40 bucks, awesome, keep going. If your cost per lead is 2000 bucks, you got a real fundamental problem and putting, spending more where you're losing money on each one is, is probably not a good thing. And you, you have to figure out 
the basic economics of your business. And it's like, this is eighth grade math, right? It's not complicated, but understanding those things is incredibly important as you uh, progress through your marketing career. You have to look at it as like a whole business because a lot of people like nuance it and be like, okay, this channel is producing a high cost per lead. So we should not do this. Like we should not do this channel anymore, but like blended it's actually good. And maybe that channel is actually not supposed to be producing leads right now. Maybe it's an educational channel that where it's going to take time to produce a lead. And I think a lot of marketers I've seen is like, okay, Facebook is a $2,000 lead. Let's shut off Facebook and let's continue doing those other channels instead of looking at like the blended costs. Like, are we okay? Like the lead, the blended lead costs is at 80. The blended opportunity costs is at let's just say 1500 and we're doing, we're actually doing pretty good and let's not shut off that channel that we're trying to test and we're trying to grow into. Yeah. One of the things that I always recommend to people, Daniel, is that you measure at the right level. Obviously you should be measuring each channel and really understanding the performance because part of your job as a marketer is looking across those channels and figuring out how to optimize that performance over time. But as you said, as you look at sort of the total investment that you're making at the campaign level and the total return, think of it at a higher level, at the aggregate of all those underlying tactics is what the the result is. Because the reality is that it's a complex cocktail of activities that's going to drive an outcome. And by the way, I don't believe that attribution works. I just don't think that it's a reliable way (laughs) to... That, you know, I, I think figuring out is that white paper worth 42 cents? It's a fool's errand. I think the better thing to do is to say, hey, what is my overall content strategy driving and what's my investment in that overall content strategy? That's a more useful way to look at it. And you're absolutely right. It may be that the cost per per outcome in, in one channel, like, like Facebook, as you mentioned, may be high but it may be influencing something else. So you can certainly run some experiments and see if it's going to make a a difference over time, but you can't just sort of out of hand say, as you said, it's a, it, it, it's the butterfly effect. There, there are all these individual things that, that may be driving it and you have to keep a lookout for the overall campaign performance to see what's working. So the other part of this is, so you have a plan how should we go and let's say sell it to first like finance to get the budget and then how do we tell the ceo like hey we're gonna do this or we're gonna invest in this channel or this plan or this goal first of all start from the goal in the the goal that you have you should be able to make a direct connection between some business goal that the ceo and the cfo are going to understand and if it's about growth sure that's easy right yeah, we want to grow, we want to add new customers, we want to add new revenue, whatever the metric that they think about. So start from there. And then what you need to do is you need to communicate the specific goal. So the specific outcome for this campaign related to that goal is going to be X, is my thesis. Again, you don't know exactly what it's going to be, but here's your plan. And you need to articulate what you're investing to get there. So you should say that, hey, I want to generate $500,000 of pipeline from this campaign. 
And the campaign is, you know, a series of different activities. And these activities are all going to fit together and generate this outcome. And the investment is going to be about $100,000. And we expect that that $100,000, that $100,000 investment is going to deliver this, this outcome. So a couple of things we did in there. One is connected it to the goal. You defined a specific outcome. You didn't say, I'm going to do a bunch of campaigns. You talked about what the outcome should be. You talked about the investment. So understand what the investment is. You should understand the relative investment versus the outcome. And is, does that make sense? So realize what I did there. I said, we're going to generate $500,000 of pipeline and we're going to spend $100,000. If you convert less than 20% of your pipeline, hmm, then you got to think about, well, is that going to be tolerated? by the company. It may be, if you think about LTV, I think about the lifetime value of the customer versus the one deal I may get, but you need to have an understanding of that, that basic economic. The other thing that you need to do when you communicate this to a financial audience is you need to talk to them in terms that they can relate to. Talk about financial outcomes. You can talk about the marketing stuff that you, but don't give them a bunch of marketing buzzwords. Don't talk about, you know, click rates and don't talk about open rates and don't, they don't care. And they don't care about your activities that you're doing. What they care about is the outcome that you're going to get and whether it's got some reasonable financial sense behind it. And do they believe that you've got a logical understanding of what that outcome is going to be? And do you have a mechanism in place to track the performance over time to either optimize it or if it's not delivering on the performance to decide to stop. So those are the things you need to communicate. I love it. I also, I think one thing that I've seen work too is like with that like pipeline goal, make sure that sales also agrees that they're going to convert that pipeline at that rate and get in the same page as them. Because sometimes like Sometimes different channels for sales, they will like forecast different things. And I've seen that before, like, or like different, like if you're going off of SMB versus enterprise, SMB reps might be doing 30% close rate, but enterprise might be doing 20%. So like, like make sure like that is like signed off by sales because otherwise you're going to be like, oh, well, usually it's this, like, no, but sales did not agree that that was that. And then you get into the problem of like, you said it and there's no agreement in the org. So I do love the way you put that together and also like speak the language of like each other. Like we taught that as marketers, but we forget that internally. Like when you're speaking to the finance team, speak like a finance, when you're speaking to the sales team, speak like in their language, when you're speaking to the CEO, speak in their language and they all speak different languages. You can't just have the same presentation for each person to reach and to sell them. Let's say like you want to make like a bet in marketing and there's like no data to back it up yet. And it's like, how would you go to like, like let's say like a lot of people, like I'll give you a perfect example. Like people want to invest in a big brand play. Like it's going to, it could 10 X, but it could flop. Like it's like, like typical stock market thing. Like how would you like think about that as a, a marketer? trying to sell that. Think about this. So the example that you brought up a brand campaign is something that 
happens all the time that people will come to me and say, well, how, how do I justify this? The first thing you need to do is you need to have a thesis for the value. So why are you doing the brand campaign? And there are a couple of reasons why you might do a brand campaign. So one may be, hey, um, nobody knows about my category and I need to educate people about my category. And what that does, if you think about it, is it should create more net new organic opportunities for your business. So people are going to, at the top of the funnel, explore you, your business in your category if you're about sort of defining what this category is. It's sort of broad awareness. The other kind of branding campaign you might do is, is more of, of a perception campaign. So if you are in a competitive market, what you need to do is you want to increase your, your win rate. So it's the difference between a win rate and a play rate. So if it's a broad awareness campaign, then I want to focus on my play rate. If it's a perception campaign, I want to focus on my win rate. And then you need to have a thesis for that. So the thesis should be, say I'm going to 5X my organic opportunities that come into the business. That would be a thesis. And if you do that, what you need to do then is do the math. What are your current organic opportunities? What's five times that? What's the conversion rate of those things historically? Or what's a reasonable guess for those things? And then if that math doesn't work out, maybe you shouldn't do it. But again, you need to at least have a logic chain that you can articulate to the business to say, not that I'm going to do this because I think it'll be good. You do this because... Well, the purpose is to get more organic business. Our current organic business is X. I want to increase it by 5X through this campaign. That's my thesis for the investment. It's going to be worth, if I 5X it, it's going to be worth another $5 million to the business. I'm going to spend $750,000 in this brand campaign. That's the thesis for my approach. The reality is that they know that it's not a guarantee but you need a thesis for it. So what is the expectation? What a lot of people will do is say, this is going to be good. This will help us grow. By how much? Give me an idea. Do the math for me. And again, it's all a set of assumptions, but make those assumptions and define your logical arguments. And then you can measure those logic steps along the way. And if it's wrong, you can adjust your plan over time. But if you come without that kind of a framework for logic, then they're unlikely to approve it. I think this is also all goes back to what you said earlier in your advice. Like if you go and understand, go to the finance scene and understand like how they're calculating everything, how they're calculating conversion rates, how they're calculating for like organic versus paid versus how they're doing it on their end of sides, you can do that math to do that. But I think a lot of marketers, especially like non, let's say demand gen marketers, which is just very like math oriented job or marketing ops. And I think most marketers are going and saying, Hey, let me look at the conversion rate from visitor to lead to lead to, to book meeting, to book meeting, to op, to op, to sale. And then what is the margins on those things? And what is the CAC on those things? And how is CAC, calculated because CAC and some businesses could be like ad sales and CS, some just ad sales. Like there's so many different things. So if you understand those, those nuances, you can do what you said and 
be able to talk the talk of the business instead of talking the talk of like in my work to what you said to talk to your marketing leader like this is, looks cool but it won't work if you're trying to go sell it to finance or a ceo yeah and as you develop your career as a marketer it doesn't matter if you're if you're a content marketer if you're a brand marketer if you're a designer if it doesn't matter where you are you should have some basic understanding of the way the business works if you want to progress in your career. If you just want to stick in your lane and just do that, that's fine. You know, you can be a deep expert in that thing. I'd argue that you need to understand how things work around you to be better at your current specific domain job anyway. But if you are someone who's got some ambition in their career and want to do more, one of the first things that I would do is just really try to understand some of the things that you just went through, Daniel, understand uh, how they think about CAC and CAC payback. And a great thing to do is sit down with your finance counterpart and say, can you help me build a template to calculate the value of these things? Bring them into the equation. They'll love it. They will absolutely support you in most cases. And then you'll be aligned with the way that you think about things. And they can't argue if it's their math. So that, that is really valuable, uh, an exercise to be able to do is just bring them in and say, let's work together and build the way we're going to measure some of these things in a consistent way. And I, I think that will help a lot. I love that advice. I, I remember like even doing a campaign for giveaways with like FPNA and like, I was like, Hey, could you build me like a model if, if I did like this giveaway, this giveaway, this giveaway, like how many people do can I give away to like, what would the CAC payback? How many people, what the account size can I give it to? So like, I knew that like, I had to only give it to enterprise because an enterprise like opportunity was X. Like I knew it like, and they built out the whole model for me. And all I had to do is like go to the marketing team and plug, say here, this is plug in the inputs. And this is what finance cares about. It was so much easier for me to like, first sell, get finance to agree upon and then sell it to like the marketing team to be like, even as like a, like a mid-level marketing manager, it was easy for me to sell to the CMO that way too, because I could be like, okay, I've done the math with finance, like finance has signed off on this. Last question. I, I like to ask everybody in this podcast, but what is a marketing hill you would die on? Yeah. So there are two. I, I was going to go into the financial thing, but we said too much. And I, I previewed this before. Attribution doesn't work. What would you say for marketers? I know we kind of went into the a little bit, but what would you say? How should marketers measure marketing in the high level way that is not like just relying on an attribution model? Yeah. And, and to put a more precise point on it, the hyper-focused, super detailed attribution is the problem, uh, is that people try to measure each individual track tactic. And the best thing to do is, because the reality is there are lots of little things that interact to deliver outcome to your campaigns, try to distill things up to a higher level so you can group together all of the outcomes and measure things at the campaign level. That's, in my mind, the best thing to do. It does beg the question, what is a campaign? And that's something that is, is another thing that I fight people about all the time. The reality is that a, a campaign isn't sending out an email. A campaign is a broad set of activities that are targeted at achieving a set of outcomes for your goals. 
every uh, marketing organization should have a, a finite number of campaigns are running at any given time. I just interviewed on my podcast, uh, the CMO of National Instruments, you know, multi-billion dollar company, they have six campaigns. So that's the level you should be thinking about measuring. Now, obviously you got to measure and optimize each individual thing, but as far as looking at total economic performance, I just make sure you're measuring at a high enough level to make sure you can account for all of the interactions that happen underneath it. Yeah. I always say like attribution is a compass, like it just like gives you general directions where to go. Like, it's just like, it's not a map. And a lot of people use it as a map and say, okay, if I turn left here, it means that. And also I think like, if you just go back to like how platforms work, I Facebook, Google want you to spend more on those platforms. So it's going to be easy to attribute platforms that are you're spending money on. There's a reason why like it's hard to measure organic campaigns and, and stuff like that because it gets uses up, but they're not you're not spending hard earned dollars to do that. So like just look at like the incentives of the platforms you're on and then you can kind of see that like you should really think about like how you do it internally instead of relying on Facebook telling you what everything is and Google telling you to the exact ad campaign. And also those a lot of those are short term too. It's a lot of them don't think of it as like just because you bring in this today doesn't mean it's gonna do X in the future. So yeah, I, I I'm agreement on and I'm a marketing ops guy. Like I think like you set up some attribution just so like you have a general idea where things are going. It's easier to like talk the talk. And it's also, I think attribution models are just supposed to be useful to like the marketing team. Like it shouldn't be a broadly shared thing. It should like attribution should be like, Hey, marketing teams using this. And what we report to the business is totally different than what the attribution model is showing. Like not different, but not like, to the nuances that you think you should be showing to the business. Otherwise, people are going to question every campaign you're doing. Well, I like your compass metaphor. I think it's a good one, and I will steal it, and I'll try to attribute it to you when I do. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing is, where can people find your podcast and your book and what you're doing right now? Yeah, so my uh, podcast and my book are called the same thing. They're called The Next CMO. We're everywhere where podcasts are. And I'm currently, I sold my last company called Plana uh, to a company called Plan Full, Marriage Made in Heaven. We both start with a plan. And I, I just left there after integrating it uh, back in a couple of months ago. And uh, I've been building up a new vessel. I, I've been calling it not quite a company yet called Accelerate Us. That's where I've been sort of writing and putting content and building a little community. So that's where I am now these days. I'm excited to see the the new vessel turn into something bigger. And thank you for coming on. This has been great. And anybody listening, go listen. If you want to become the next CMO, go listen to his podcast. He has some good stuff on it. And I heard your podcast with DG too is great. So thank you for coming on. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating 
It helps bring more marketers into our community.